Hi and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. A uh, couple of announcements, or really just one. Um, I do still have some spots left open for holistic nutrition for amateurs. And as I said in last week's episode, uh, really a distillation of 15 years of clinical experience uh, together with 12 years of teaching. Uh, for you, the sort of health enthusiast, uh, lay person, mom at home, um, etc. Really just if you're wanting to really get a solid grounding in holistic nutrition, that's what that course is all about. Um, other than that, I don't really have any other announcements. So we're just going to hop right into today's show. And today's show is aptly named Green Enough. And it's taken from the title of Leah Segedi's new book, uh, which is called Green Enough. But Leah is, you know, we've become good friends over the last while, and she, she's a real mover and shaker, um, activist, author, uh, top mom blogger, and just all round um, real change maker and influencer. And so it was great to get her on the show today, uh, you know, an hour long episode to really hop into a few um, issues that sort of have multiple points of convergence, but we start off with her own personal journey and a two-year weight loss um, struggle in the midst of uh, you know very challenging life experiences and whatnot, and how that was a sort of springboard and catapult into uh, doing what she does now, which is uh, running uh, Mamavation, which is um, one of the planet's top uh, blogs for health and wellness. And then also branching out into something called ShiftCon, uh, which is really about bringing influencers and brands together. So today's show uh, sort of meanders through all three of those, and we take a good few turns into uh, some topics. We talk about um, the, the, the green industry and how brands are coming to a new marketplace, which is exactly what Leah is trying to do, is, is to create a new marketplace, but bringing people into that marketplace who are doing good things and, and then inadvertently uh, forcing the hand of bigger corporations to start including more uh, organics, um, disclosing ingredients, and basically just shaping up, right, so that we can help the planet and help ourselves. Uh, we talk a great deal about hormone-disrupting chemicals today as well. So again, if you don't know what those are, um, definitely listen to this episode. And we talk about her work uh, and, and really the book uh, centers on hormone-disrupting chemicals. And we sort of, um, you know, basically take a tour through the home and and get into some of that sort of stuff. But a, a big focal point that came up in our discussion was fragrance and personal care products. We talk about the lack of regulation when it comes to personal care products and the self-policing of the cosmetics industry as a whole. We then also talk about comparisons between European laws and uh, North American laws with regards to chemicals in these products. And... Um, we lastly wrap things up with her latest campaign, which is to remove bisphenol A, which is a hormone disrupting chemical, uh, from the target receipt papers. So I'll, I'll just explain that real briefly here. Uh, target has um, the sort of 
powdered uh, this this powdered substance that they use on their receipts when they print them. And what Leah's research has shown is that this uh, substance, this bisphenol A or BPA, actually enters into the bloodstream and at lower dosages even can cause hormonal problems. And so obviously that's a concern for people who are shopping at Target, which is a huge part of her community, aka moms. Um, but it's also quite concerning for the people who are working the cash registers, who are handling hundreds and hundreds of receipts every single day. And so, um, yeah, so check out the show notes on this as well, because I've included links to some of these campaigns, um, or that campaign, I should say, and uh, some of Leah's other work. And definitely pick up a copy of her book. Um, I think it's uh, it's definitely um, written with you in mind. It, it's not a highfalutin, you know, crazy science book, uh, although she does have a very solid science team uh, working in the background to to help her and to get uh, credible science and to get accurate information. And Leah's just done a really fantastic job of distilling that information and boiling it down uh, and writing it in a way that's accessible to uh, all of us. Right. So, uh, yeah, a, a good a good episode today. Lots of different things to think about. And if you haven't thought about cleaning up your home and cleaning up your environment and switching your personal care products out, um, definitely take a listen to today's episode and start making some changes. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brett. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm doing fantastic. Um, it's yeah, a, a little bit uh, worse for wear today with extended travel, but all good. Uh, happy to be sitting down with you today and having a chat about uh, a few things. And um, for those of you guys listening, Leah and I, we've actually become pretty good friends over the last while, um, talking about all sorts of uh, stuff happening in the world. And uh, that's exactly why I wanted to get her on uh, the show today, because I know that you have some really cool things that uh, we want to get into. But I'm going to just sort of open things up and... You know, you, you've had a very interesting um, journey, a very personal journey for that matter, uh, getting into the sort of health and wellness space and getting into the blogging world. Um, and you've sort of found your way into uh, your two big um, sort of ventures, if you will, which is Mamovation is one and ShiftCon. But perhaps we can sort of start from the beginning and uh, share with us, you, you know, how you got into this, um, your own personal health struggles and so on. That would be great. Thank you, Brett. And again, thank you for having me on. Um, I'm Leah Sege, obviously, as Brett has said. And I've been working in social media for about 13 years now. So you could literally call me a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I'm not, (laughs) even though I'm not really um, that old, but, you know, um, I have been working in this industry for a really long time. So almost at the very beginning, um, there's obviously people have been around longer than me, but, um, pretty, pretty good span. And when I started, I mean, I was not, um, I was more of a PR marketing political person prior to me working in social media. I actually, um, worked for the California state assembly for several years for different elected officials. I did fundraising, political fundraising, and I also worked um, professional PR for um, some insurance companies as well. So that was kind of my background before I got in. Oh, I I did not know that. So that makes a a lot of sense now as to where you are right now. So that's great. (laughs) So I've known how to organize people. That's what my, one of my skill sets are are knowing how to organize people around a specific theme, you know, so that Mm. I'm good at. 
and I've always been good at that. And that's just a natural talent that I've had that I enjoy doing. Um, but what, what really happened to me is my, my personal life. And it starts out with, imagine me being a size 22 and weighing well over 250 pounds. And that's where the story, the story started. And that's how my life started. Um, I also have this rare condition that if you have a dog, you've probably heard of, it's called hip dysplasia. So the heavier I get, the harder it is to walk. And it's like mm. bone grinding on bone. Um, so when I was that size... Um, it was very difficult to walk. It was difficult to get around. And of course, being that big, I kind of like hid in my house. Um, so imagine me that size. I, I couldn't really, you know, I, I would probably have to buy two seats for an airline ticket, which is why I didn't fly. You know, when I went to the theater with my husband, I didn't even fit in that seat. I had to sit awkwardly off to the side to sit. So my wellness journey was, 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 was interesting. Um, before I even got into wellness was, it's, it's really a story about cancer and how cancer just kind of ripped up my life. Um, when I had just gotten pregnant with my first child, and so this is when I was about three months pregnant, um, I had learned that my father had mesothelioma, which is a very rare cancer that comes from asbestos exposure. And asbestos is a nanoparticle. Most people mm -hmm. don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, and they gave him six months to live. And I quit my job at that point. Um, and then basically just helped my mother care for my father up until the time that he died. And he always said to me that he wanted to see his first grandson. And so he bucked the six months and made it about nine months. And he was there for his first grandson to be born. And so my life being pregnant was not a life of, you know, welcoming in a new child and happiness. It was very much about losing someone that I loved and sadness. Mm. So by the time my son was born and, you know, I had that come to Jesus moment where I was like, oh my God, now I'm a parent. I didn't have the emotional ability to prepare for that. And so I was kind of way back, way behind. And, you know, I was really overweight, you know, all that weight did not come off with the baby. Um, and even six months later, it didn't come off with the baby. So, you know, I kind of looked into my son's eyes and I was like, what kind of mother do I want to be? And the one thing that screamed to me more than anything else is I want this child to be happy. I want him, I wanted him to be healthy and I didn't want him to deal with the type of issues that I dealt with being as overweight as I was. And so that's when that mother lion inside of me just started to rear up like fire. And I just said, you know what? The only way this child is going to have a better future is if I model that future for him. And so that's when I realized I have to do this. If I don't do this myself, I cannot expect anybody else in my home to be any healthier if I'm not the center of all of this. Mm -hmm. So what I did right away, and it was really simple because I knew nothing, <laughs> is I stopped drinking, stopped drinking diet soda, which was like, to me, it was like water. I would drink like six cans of diet Coke a day. It was that bad. Um, and I just started walking around, you know, walking around the block and it wasn't even a block cause I lived in a condo complex at that time. So it was like literally walking around the condo complex. And, and at, at this time as well, just to paint the picture, you, you were not very mobile at that point. Right. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
Okay. I was not very mobile. So walking was it, like, it would hurt to walk for the first five minutes. And then after the first five minutes, it got better. And that's kind of how it is when, when, you know, when you, I don't know, maybe arthritis or whatever, I don't have arthritis, but I can imagine it probably would feel the same, you know, where you have to, that first couple of those first couple of minutes are, are, are very painful. And so, yeah. yeah. So to me, it was literally just mind over matter. Like I'm going to do this. My first original goals were very small. I just wanted to drop five pounds to see if I could do it. But I ended up doing that in a week by just wow. walking and, wow. you know, yeah, yeah, by replacing soda with water and walking and just saying no more fast food, you know, mm-hmm. um, I did five pounds in a week. Well, I, I think, you know, it's, that's a very powerful lesson for, you know, even for people who are listening right now is, you know, whenever we embark on these transformation transformational journeys or healing journeys, whatever, we, we always have our sights set so far into the future where, you know, so it's kind of refreshing to hear you say that you just had realistic goals and you weren't even sure if you were going to meet those goals, but you just said, Hey, if I can lose five pounds, I'm at least moving in the right direction. And I think also making those simple changes, like no, no diet soda, no fast foods. I mean, you know, a lot of people overlook that sort of stuff and they sort of yeah. go, well, you know, I, I got to go and work out at the gym for two hours every day to make this happen. And I don't know what I'm hearing is that's not necessarily the case for everyone. <laughs> no. And you know, I'm, I've done a lot of amazing, big, huge tasks in my lifetime. And in order to accomplish those things, I have to trick myself mentally. And it's like that idea where if you're going to eat an elephant, you got to eat it a bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Everything I do is based in little tiny goals, everything. And it's just so that I can emotionally handle everything, you know, because otherwise it is crazy. It is overwhelming. So I never set for myself a big, huge, grandiose goal unless I understand all the pieces to the puzzle. And I am focusing on those little tiny pieces as opposed to those big, huge pieces when I'm mentally preparing myself. So I literally just said five pounds. And then the cool thing was, you know, uh, you lose five pounds. I did that in a week. Um, And I was literally dancing naked on my scale. (laughs) You can imagine. And that was super fun. So that whole weight loss, I was only giving myself five pounds. And so when I'd lose five pounds, I'd say, okay, here's another five. And I never said to myself ever, oh, you're going to lose a hundred pounds or, oh, you're going to lose whatever. Because I don't think I could have emotionally handled it. Every step that I took was a surprise to me. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe I got this far, but I did. And so I just pushed it out a little bit further. And I have a friend that does ultra marathoning, you know, and that's what she says her secret is, is she gives herself a marker you know, that's close by where she can mentally process getting to that place. And then she goes, I said, I'm going to get to this place and this place. And it's just further ahead where you can see it. And I really feel like setting yourself up for those little mini goals and having that be the focus is so much more attainable. You can psych yourself out emotionally a lot easier. And then of course, you know, you accumulate all those goals and then you look back and you're like, wow, I did that. And it's just, it's the best feeling. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's great. And you know what, it's encouraging because, um, you know, preaching to the choir here, but I know that a lot of us have very, you know, we have bigger visions, we have bigger goals, we have things that we want to do. And we'll talk about your, your history as an activist, you know, and I think we, we both have a bit of that, um, you know, and, and when you're trying to make these big changes, either in a global impact or on yourself or um, in your work, uh, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit challenging when you are looking 20 years into the future and you're still on year one, you know, where you're like, oh man, this is never going to happen, right? So you right. essentially psych yourself out, out and, um, and, and maybe don't 
accomplish what you want to. So yeah, so that's great. And you know, I know there's so many people, I mean, weight issues are, are like a, it's a global epidemic nowadays. Um, you know, lots of people struggling to lose weight and not really sure what to do. So um, I thank you for, for just sharing the simplicity uh, with, with what you did. And, and I'm sure it was not easy, but um, doing it in small little, little bits like that uh, makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, the law, it took me two years to lose over a hundred pounds, which is what ended up happening. Okay. But you've kept it off, which is, you know, that's, that's the, uh, the important thing. Um, but so, so this, so fast forward, I mean, this really spurred you to, to get into the work that you're doing now, right? I mean, momovation, blogging and so on. So after I had lost all that weight, I was getting incredibly bored (laughs) because you go from being someone who has, you know, a master's degree, a very professional communication, um, you know, uh, profession essentially to staying at home with my children, I was going, I was just going apeshit to be quite honest. I just really needed something to do. And, you know, I'm a giver. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to organize other women across the United States um, and Canada too, to, you know, have issues and have conversations about health and wellness for moms. That's all I cared about is I cared about my own little group of people, you know, women who had children and who, who were, had, you know, um, access to the internet. And so I formulated a group and it was all about that. And it grew really quickly because my story, you know, hit the national news and I was written up in ladies home journal and shape magazine and fitness magazine. And, you know, it just really at that time, you know, created this amazing, amazing community of women who are really, really passionate about health and wellness issues as they're raising children. And so that's really how it started for me. Yeah. And, and I'm sure a lot of the women, you know, in your community have experienced or are experiencing the same struggles and issues that you experienced yourself. I mean, it's, um, you know, these conversations are happening and, and it's, it's a good thing. So, um, but I guess back then there wasn't as much information out there or as clear a direction because, I mean, the health and wellness industry has just exploded in the last, I would say, five to 10 years. Yeah, there wasn't anything. And I think at that time I was the only quote unquote mom blogger that just focused on wellness topics. I mean, and and back then being a mom blogger was really a niche. So I was like niching within a niche. You're exactly right. Yeah. I, I was the only one I think at that point, or maybe like one of a handful. And so, so what, so, so you launched Momovation, which, you know, the sort of intention was really just to bring um, moms together to live healthier lives, be a better role model for their children and so on and so on. And I, I guess what, you know, what, what are the things that you sort of looking back on that, what, what are the things you really sort of take away from that experience and that community that you've created? You know, one of the, it's, it's been a, it's been an amazing ride because, you know, uh, being a community leader in social media is, um, has changed so much in Mm -hmm. 13 years. Uh, but what I will say is, you know, at the core of everything, you know, women at the end of the day just want to be supported. They want to be empowered. They want to feel heard. Like their voices are meant to be, you know, they're important. They want to feel important. And sometimes women struggle with all of those issues, not feeling heard, not feeling important, not feeling like they have a supportive group of women around them. You know, not those, those are are core issues that I I believe, you know, in all social media communities, if you work on those aspects and you have that down, you've got a love basis, a basis of love and support, and then you grow, you know, that's essentially what happens because you provide a place where people are happy to be. 
Yeah, which I, I, I totally get. Do you think that that's getting, you know, when people are the first and are the pioneers, uh, you know, nowadays, fast forward all these years later, do you feel that it's getting harder for people to create those communities or easier? I would say both. I would no, say there's so much saturation in, you mm -hmm. know, in social media right now that it's a lot more difficult to make a name for yourself if you're a newcomer. That is absolutely true yeah. because there's so many now. But however, I will say, you know, people that focus on new topics, you know, there's always there. If you're focusing on something new and something exciting, there is absolute growth potential for you. If you're focusing mm -hmm. on something that everyone else is focusing on, then it, it makes it more difficult. Yeah. Well, which, which, which makes sense. But something uh, you said earlier, and I just want to circle back to that. Um, and, and, you know, as I said to you before, we're just having a conversation. So we're just going to go where the wind blows right now. But um, you kind of are making me think a little bit here. Do you feel that I've said this and I just want to get your opinion on it or your commentary more than anything. Part of me feels like in the world of being more connected, quote unquote, that we've become a little bit more alienated from one another. You know, so when we talk about people needing this extra support and a community, you know, do you feel that that maybe people are not getting that because we're in a sense distracted by social media and we're finding ourselves in echo chambers and we're more distracted by technology than ever before? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point that you're bringing up. And I think the answer is yes. You know what I'm saying? I feel like what we're dealing with now is a new culture based on technology. Mm -hmm. If you look back at the history of the world, it makes perfect sense. When the printing press was developed, that was a new communication technology. Once the printing press was developed, all of the power structure changed because people started learning to read that never learned to read. They were experiencing new things. Power structures changed, okay? You see, you know, the Reformation happened, Renaissance happened, all these things happened. Would not happened without that communication technology of the mm -hmm. printing press. Same thing happened with the television. Same thing happened with the radio. Same thing happened with the, uh, the internet. And now with social media being an additional layer of this new technology, with every time we have a communication technology invented, there is a cultural shift complete and other shift in how we understand the world, how we speak to each other, how we interact, everything changes. And we are living through that exact change. So yes, it feels awkward. Yes, there's going to be plenty of things that people look at and says, well, that's bad. And then other people are like, well, look at this good thing over here. That's life. You know, you take yeah. the good stuff with the bad stuff. I think what we are happening is, I think what's happening is we're living through a cultural shift similar to the Renaissance and the, the Reformation, you know, where things are confusing, there's so many different um, issues that we've never discovered or thought about. There's new people that have voices that didn't have voices before. Mm -hmm. That's just what we're living through. So I think if you look at it in terms of that, it makes more sense. But if you're looking at it in terms of just good or bad, then everything is bad. Well, sure. I mean, there's obviously, it's a, it's a very, very nuanced conversation with a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different shades of gray. Um, and uh, yeah, you I mean, you can't say that it's either good or bad because that would just be wrong. I, there are many, many good things because in some ways I do feel like we are more connected in some ways, um, yeah. for sure, you know, we, but, but almost, um, in a very different way than we have been before. And so I think when, you know, I look at someone like yourself and you've created these communi this community for yourself, I think that that's a, that's a really, really great thing. And, um, you know, if, if women have not 
you know, had the support and feel like they've been connected with other women and so on and so on. Um, I think that's, uh, that's fantastic that you have created a platform. Um, I just, yeah, there's, there's also the, the other side of the conversation, which I, you know, we don't have to get into that today, of course, um, which is more of that, not just the disconnectedness, but also the, you know, take a look at Facebook comment threads and, and people are very brutal online these days. And, yeah. uh, because we can hide behind a screen, right? We don't actually have to see what the reaction is of the person that we're talking to. And we can think about things uh, before we write them and we don't see the expression on our face. And, you know, so there's all of that sort of stuff as well, but yeah. Um, yeah, so it's I, I you know I, I think that your synopsis is great, and I think um, looking at it like that as a sort of cultural shift is is actually a good way to look at it. And who knows where things are going to be in the next uh, in the next ten years or, exactly. or twenty years? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so so that's so Mamavation is that's one side of things, and then you also run ShiftCon, right? And so perhaps you can explain a little bit more about what ShiftCon is. ShiftCon Social Media Conference is the only green blogger conference in the country. So we we refer to our niche as our niche as eco wellness. So influencers that are into lifestyle, food, um, organic organic food, safer uh, products, um, you know, and fitness, all of those things wrapped up in a tight bow. Um, ShiftCon is where they would meet annually. So um, every year we do a ShiftCon and it's, it's a big, huge event. Um, we end up with about 400 people, um, 60 brands, you know, that are there doing tabletop expos. We have like between 20 to 24 workshops, um, six keynotes, two fitness events. Wow, uh, cool. It's, it's a big deal. And um, yeah, it's, it's where I... It's where I organize the niche, you know, the, the, that that um, area blogging, and just do my best to support them, bring them scientists, bring them professionals that they can learn from, put them around the brands that sing, you know, sing their so that that mirror their ideals, and it just watch music happen over three days. And so the so what is the sort of um, the overarching uh, intention with with ShiftCon? I know it's to bring people together, but is it really to help brands get out there more, or is it just to help sort of spread um, eco wellness? That's yeah, well, all of the that's, above. that's actually it. That's a good. That there's two points. So we we're there to obviously, well, actually three to support the influencers to keep them updated on education and those types of things, um, so that they can constantly be growing and getting bigger. It's to grow an army. That's number two. Is to grow an army to you know bring in new influencers that perhaps don't, have not covered topics that you know we have that we cover and show them why it's in their best interest to do that and just kind of help them along that process. And then of course the third part of that is to be a, you know, be supportive of the brands who are, you know, those are the action takers right there. They're providing the solution. So be supportive of the brands to help them grow and get bigger. Because in my very personal opinion, if their business is not sustainable as in making money, then we're all going to get screwed here because, you know, yeah. the business owners need to make money because that needs to be a sustainable business venture for them. And we're here to help support them with that as well because if they grow everybody wins and that's how i see mm-hmm. it well and so so really what we're what we're tapping into here is shifting to a greener lifestyle and getting more and more people to do that so that ultimately we help our health we help the health of the planet um, perhaps we also start uh, drowning out the giant corporations who are making crap and uh, poisoning <laughs> yeah. us um right. yeah so so I, I get that so now question for you though on that is 
you know, I've, I've been teaching nutrition and the environment for a long time. And so we get into things like personal care products and toxins in the home and all that sort of stuff. And I, we, we are going to talk about your, uh, your new book that just came out. So we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get there, what's your take on, you know, the, 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 the green industry has also exploded alongside the health and wellness industry, right? Mm-hmm. And do you feel, you know, there's this term that gets thrown around, which is called greenwashing. And, and, and greenwashing now, I mean, if you go and look at Johnson & Johnson, for example, all of, a, all of a sudden their marketing is, you know, we made our lotion with lavender and ylang-ylang and there's scientists looking at plants, you know, and, and then you look at the ingredients and you're like, well, hang on a second. That's like the last on the list and there's a whole bunch of crap before that that's all cancer-causing and whatnot. So the, the point that I'm getting at is, um, and we'll get to this in your book in just a second, is do you feel like there are companies that are coming to the party um, who are trying to capitalize on the green movement and are not necessarily being true to, to what their marketing is? <laughs> do I believe that marketers stretch the truth? <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go then. <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, everybody knows the answer to that question. Yes, absolutely. I believe that marketers do stretch the truth. Um, but I think, I think the way I see it might be, might be a little different than the way other people see it. You know, what, what we are doing specifically is we are creating a new marketplace for brands that are, you know, producing uh, their products with ingredients that we like. So we're growing that market, right? And we're essentially help in the support of growing that market as in this big industry is. And I'm really proud of that, of making, um, allowing them to grow because everybody wins when the ingredients are safer for everybody. It's a win, win, win. The other thing that it does is it puts pressure on the brands that are providing eh, okay products and bad products Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. make their products better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a big, huge brand like PepsiCo, you know, coming out with organic Doritos. I think that's the best shit since sliced bread. You know, I think that's, that's a great thing because that means this big, huge corporation with, you know, a distributing model um, all over the United States is starting to produce food that's better for everybody. So, mm. and when that happens, you will always have the people on the very far left of that area, you know, saying to hell with this big brand, we're going to start up our own brand. And I think that's a great idea too, because it just, makes the market share or makes the ability that the whole makes the tent bigger is what is what I get excited about. The bigger the tent, the happier I am. At the far left of the tent, you have the people who are the hardcore everything, the right? Puritans, right? The Puritans. <laughs> and there is nothing wrong with being a Puritan, uh-huh. you know? But that's just not where the rest of the US is. And as these bigger brands come in and start changing, and yes, I would say like there's certain things that you can't lie about. Like, are you organic or are you not organic? There are laws the state where they yeah. cannot lie on whether they have organic ingredients or not. So that's simple for us to understand. And the more of those companies want to get in the organic game, the better off I believe we all are. Because don't forget, there's just the very far people on the left that are going to constantly sprout up with new business ventures, new ideas. People are going to go there and keep pushing the envelope. So I believe as a whole, and you'll, you'll get understand about me, I look at things in, in, with a very big picture. So it's like, to me, for some reasons, I'm like, I refer to those brands that you know are larger as bridge brands. That's what I refer to them. They provide a bridge 
whereas people can walk across and get to the to the other side, so to speak. But you got to be able to get them somehow. So in a sense, yes, it bothers me that their marketing is maybe a little mm. little bit fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there, however, there are things they can't like being organic or not. You cannot lie about that. However, when we're talking about personal care products, yes, that can get a little crazy because there isn't as many like laws on the books to really protect us. You well, the, know? The, the whole um, the whole cosmetics industry is essentially self policing, from what I understand. Yes, yes, the, the, I call, I refer to them as the cosmetic Illuminati. You know, because <laughs> they seriously run like the Illuminati. They have their own little group that are self appointed from the industry. Yeah. They of yeah. their own rules. They define, you know, what safe is, what safe is not, and that they police themselves. One thing that they do not have control over is who buys their product. So right. they can act like the Illuminati all they want. And I can just draw attention to the fact that they are operating like the Illuminati. And then, you know, tell the audience, look, are they disclosing their fragrance? Do they have these 10 chemicals inside their, you know, that are, that are linked to hormone disruption or carcinogens in their product? Right. Yeah, okay. You know, so it's like, like on one hand, it's like, it's, it's like a cat and mouse game in a sense, you know, until we have some real laws on the books that oversees cosmetics kind of more serious, like the way they have in Europe, that would be fantastic. But until then, the good news is a lot of the better brands in personal care are starting to spout up and they are starting to gain a lot of market share away from these other companies. Whereas, you know, Johnson and Johnson and Unilever just announced, I believe it was this year that they will start, they will start, um, disclosing their fragrances, their fragrance ingredients, mm. which I think is great because yeah. this is what's going to happen now. And I'll just tell you, cause this is the way it goes. What happens is right now they do not want, when they disclose, they do not want to show you that they have phthalates in their fragrance. They're never going to want to say that. So they're working behind the scenes most likely to reformulate things so that when they finally announce, look, we're phthalate free. We're one of the good guys. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way it goes. And that, I think that's fine. You know, let them do that that's okay as long as they're doing the disclosure and the you know the the customer you know all of us consumers we know what's in it you know and they're and they're transparent about it i'm okay with that and mm -hmm. if they want to reformulate behind closed doors and then come out and look better i think that's fine too that doesn't really bother me i think the point is is if we can keep pushing the envelope um towards the area of safer products and keep educating the customers consumers about what to look for the more that happens the more that line will keep going yeah and that's, well, and, and, and that's already happened right i mean like we've you know you and I have both been doing this for for some time now and you know certain things that I would speak about when I first started teaching for example people had no idea what I was talking about they were like I'd never heard of that and yeah. now when you start talking about things they're like oh yeah I've heard of these things at least and I, I know that they're not good for us so so let's you know that's a good segue into your latest book um, so called uh, green enough and that was just released quite recently end of March was it 2018 yeah, it was the end of March this year. It's been really exciting. No, no doubt. And this is your first book, right? Yes, this is my first rodeo. That's what okay. I referred to. Awesome. <laughs> and so, so it's, it's, it's doing well? 
Yeah. Yeah. It is doing really well. It's, I mean, it's, it's the kind of book where it's like, it's a green 101, green living 101 book for people who don't like to read science. And what I, what I mean by that is I have all the professionals along for the ride with me with the book that chime in that's, that talk about science. But when I communicate the topics, it's simplified, it's digestible, and it's very, it's done very eccentrically and very sassy. So I have a little bit of a sailor's mouth and I just, I completely let it why in my book Love it. and then and then but it just it makes things easier you know it just yeah. makes things easier more easy to digest so like for instance when i refer to things called bisphenols right and bisphenols are bpa and bps and those can be in plastics and you know canned food lining and thermal receipt paper when i refer to the bisphenols i call them the bitchy bisphenols because <laughs> you have to look at them as a family because it's a family of chemicals you don't really want to just avoid bpa she's just one sister. She's got other sisters you want to avoid. And so, you know, that's how I explain the world of chemicals to you. So it's going to be something that you can relate to. All of us girls had those mean girls in high school or junior high that picked on us. And so I'm kind of telling you why these bitchy bisphenol sisters are like the mean girls in your high school. So explaining things in that type of way, as opposed to sitting here and saying, you know, research studies suggest, da, 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 da. we have all of right. that stuff. Book, yeah. but it's more digestible, more relatable. It's really written as like, I'm sitting here in your kitchen telling you like I'm your girlfriend. And, you know, we go through all of the food in your house. So like we do a pantry purge, you know, to help you with food. Um, we help you with personal, personal care products as well. Cleaning products, your indoor air quality, all of the packaging in your food, pretty much every single thing in your house that could cause hormone disruption is what we cover in the book in that style that I'm talking about. So is, so a couple questions. Um, and I also just because I, I know you well enough now, um, I just want you folks listening to this to also know that, you know, Leah, you have a, a pretty solid uh, scientific team that works with you on the regular, right? Yes. And so, yeah, so, so this is not just as much, you know, I, I love that you've written it so that it is accessible because I find that people do glaze over when you get too professional. I'm guilty right. of that. Um, not me glazing over, me being too professional sometimes. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, I just want people to understand that the science that you're drawing from and the backing that you have comes with a lot of credibility. You've just taken things that are a little bit dry to some people and have made them a little bit more accessible and exciting is, right. is, is, what, is what that is. But um, another question, you know, is, is the focus really on hormone disruption or are you just looking at it from a much broader sort of toxic effect, quote unquote? We're absolutely looking at hormone disruption, and that's okay. that's how, what we focus on. So I'm not focusing so much on carcinogens, but of course, if you're dealing with hormone disrupting chemicals, that's the end of life that happens is cancer. Yeah. So yeah. we're kind of looking at it as what are the things in your home that are causing hormone disruption, and what mm -hmm. those things are, and how you can practically solve those problems with all the things in your home. And yeah. So so what so. You know, hormone disruption um, or, you know, endocrine disruption, uh, I'll, I'll let you sort of explain what that means to our listeners, because some of you listening to this, you absolutely know what we're talking about. And there's going to be a bunch of you who pr probably have never heard of that before. So what exactly when we talk about hormone disruption or endocrine disruptors, what do they do? 
So there are chemicals out there that disrupt your endocrine system or your hormone system. And what the important thing to understand about your hormones is it's not just about sex. So yes, when you know your hormones will determine if you can have children or not, your sperm quality, when you can have these children and timing and that sort of thing, but what else it impacts may not you may not be aware of. It has the ability to impact things like your intelligence, how much how much you can remember, you know, those types of things. Mm-hmm. It has the ability to, you know, what kind of mood you're in. Do you have anxiety or depression? You know, diabetes, those sorts of things. It, your hormones are, are the things inside your body. They're like traffic control. If you think of them as like traffic control, you'll, you'll understand more about what they actually do. They basically tell your body do all, to do all sorts of things. And they're really, really, really important when someone is pregnant because if specific things don't happen at very specific times based on hormone signaling. You know, you can have anything from diseases and chronic diseases to death to, you know, never being able to have children to, Mm -hmm. you know, at the age 40 getting different cancers or, you know, women not, you know, being able to do specific things. There's so many things that your hormones have the ability to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's chemicals um, that we have in the world that are categorized as hormone disrupting chemicals. So these chemicals have the ability to thwart, manipulate, or, you know, completely, you know, destroy certain actions in the body. And sometimes it happens. And, and, and a lot of times these uh, chemicals can happen and can disrupt your hormones at teeny tiny, itty bitty levels, like a, a drop in a Olympic sized pool type of levels. Yeah. So that's kind of the argument. And now the independent scientists that I work with, Hormone disruption is like, you know, that's what they deal with all the time. And so, you know, uh, understanding like things like bisphenols, you know, a drop in an Olympic sized pool absolutely can disrupt hormones, you know, of a baby or of a small child. And even people who are an an adult based on how much they are, you know, um, exposed to these types of things. And so I I don't want to make the book scary because if you would have talked to me 10, 13 years ago about hormone disruption and told me what to do. You know what I'm saying? As in this is going to kill you, that's going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. I I, I wouldn't have been able to hear you. So instead, what the book is about is it's about entertaining you and making you have a, it's a fun read. And then the secondary thing that happens is you're educated on all of these things so that you can then explain them to your friends. Um, Hormone disruption is is the basis of everything. Um, my scientific advisor Pete Myers, you know, he's the guy that actually coined the phrase endocrine disrupting chemicals. He organized a lot of these independent scientists all over the U.S. and Europe. Um, he's constantly traveling, speaking for places like Harvard or at the EU or all of that. Um, and so the basis of the science, I, I refer to him as the Godfather. He chimes in the book well over a hundred times. I also have um, Dr. Tanya Altman as the other advisor in the book who chimes in a lot. And she is the spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. So the science is really sound, Mm -hmm. but the science is also a little scary. Um, And essentially, you know, what it it underscores is the differences between the US and Europe. Now, I'm not going to say Europe is perfect, but they take these things a little bit more serious because, you know, they have national health care. They don't want to make mistakes that they're going to have to pay for 20, 30, 40 years later. Yeah. So, 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 um, on that note, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to the best of my understanding, when we talk about Europe, uh, I believe that they have to prove that something is safe before they're allowed to put it on the market. 
Whereas in North America, because especially the cosmetics um, and personal care industry is self-regulating, uh, we put things on the market and then the onus is on the public to prove whether they are um, not safe or toxic or whatnot, which is kind of why we have people like you sounding the alarm and blowing the whistle. Is that, is that fair to say or... I would say it's a fairer representation. I would yeah. not say that Europe is perfect because no, I, no. I speak to a lot of scientists in Europe and they hate it when we make Europe sound like they're the best shits and sliced bread because they're like, no, yeah. we have so many issues too. But I would say that their systems are set up so that, yes, you're absolutely right, that the 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 it's on the, the company has to prove, um, not without a shadow of doubt, but they have to prove Reasonable, that their yeah. chemical isn't as dangerous, right? <laughs> to be able mm-hmm. to get it into commerce. And in the U.S., essentially that doesn't happen. What, what, what the U.S. does is the U.S. basically looks at um, studies that the companies do themselves. It's, I call them marketing science. And they look at all <laughs> the marketing science that they've created and say, oh, looks good to me, and then like lets it go through. And in some instances, they don't even need to have the science really approved to get through. So it's a really interesting way... Um, um, over the years with loopholes that have created with, you know, uh, the gross determination, which is generally regarded as safe, the legal loopholes that were created over the years just to like pull out the quote unquote red tape in the chemical industry. So it's been an interesting thing to like read and review and learn about. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little infuriating as well as a mother you sure. know, who has a family to feed. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, you know, I got, I got two young children as well. And uh, it, it is, you know, I've been living as clean and green as I possibly can for, I don't know, for a long, long time now. But uh, yeah, it's by everywhere uh, these days. And you know, you raise an interesting point. And again, I might be wrong, but to the best of my understanding, we also have the system where chemicals that are related to mm-hmm. chemicals that were already approved, like back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they essentially get grandfathered in, right? Um, you, you don't need to do additional studies on them because they're chemically related. Uh I, that's a specific thing. Um, so like what you're saying is like, let's just say we have a different type of bisphenol that is allowed in. And, you know, I think there's like up to a thousand of them now. Yeah. Um, I don't know specifically if those chemicals are grandfathered in. I'd actually have to ask my advisor. But what I will say is that you're absolutely right where there was a point in time where anything that was introduced before a certain time was grandfathered in as a chemical and they don't really have to provide anything in anything yeah which is kind of i mean the the crazy thing for me is when i hear that you know i sort of go but this is the time now that we know more we should really be clamping down on the testing and the safety testing and whatnot not going the other way but i guess we also live in a world that's driven um quite heavily by corporate profits uh versus versus looking after people's health um and i guess the u.s especially where people have to pay for their own health care um we we don't really care too much if you're going to get sick because it actually just bolsters the economy even more. Right, um, in a sense. In and a sense, also yeah. the thing to understand is, you know, what, what the scientific, the independent scientists get so upset over is the methodology that is used at the government level. So the mm. methodology and the science and the, the types of tests that they do really only support the chemical companies because they're really not very strong. You know, right. they're not, this isn't the most um, technologically advanced type 
type of way to look at it. And so they're just like, oh my gosh, the standards are so significantly low. They're so low mm. that the only people it helps are the chemical companies. This doesn't help the customers because the advances in science have progressed so much over the last 30, 40 years, and those tests are completely ignored. So, and, and one of the things that they're looking at is they're looking at disruption in high levels. They are not looking at hormone disruption in low levels. And what the independent scientists say is that just because you have something happening at a high level doesn't mean that you can think for a second that you know what's going to happen at a low level. A lot of times it's very different. And yeah. so, and it's some, and in some chemicals, the low impacts are worse than the high impacts. Huh. So you've well, got this like craziness going on at the yeah, FDA. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the, the other thing um, that, that I've always been very concerned about slash mildly pissed off about is the fact that all of these things are tested in isolation. So no one is doing uh, combined testing. You know, if you consider that the amount of personal care products that people use, for example, it's astounding. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, yeah. you know, I think the average, the average woman uses something along the lines of 16 personal care products every day. Mm -hmm. And then add that, add to the food packaging to all the other stuff. You know, my concern has always been with the combined the effect, the combined yeah. effect, and then also the cumulative effect, because a lot of these chemicals are fat soluble. So mm -hmm. they actually get stored in the body in fatty tissue. Um, a lot of those, the fattiest tissue in the body is actually our glandular system or endocrine system. And mm -hmm. so they get stored in the body and over time they just accumulate very slowly. And I think that that's a very difficult thing to test scientifically. You know, oh, in, yes. in terms of doing controlled studies and blah, 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 at whatever level, it's really hard to do that. So, you know, uh, but, but the, the, just to sort of wrap this segment up, the thing that irks me is that instead of being overly cautious, we've sort of gone the other way where we're, we're overly lax, which is just kind of like, what, you know, why? <laughs> um, but yeah, so a little bit right. brutal, a little bit frustrating, but you know, thankfully we have people like you who are sounding the alarm, who are bringing the, the good science. So something that you mentioned to me um, off air was the, one of the biggest things that you were sort of uh, discovered in researching the book was, was fragrance, right? Right. So, you know, as we were looking, we've done an investigation on thousands and thousands and thousands of products, you know, um, that people could come in contact to and see at a grocery store. And we organize them into bad, better, and best in the book. So I'm naming names in the book and you can see all that um, at the end of the chapters. Love and it. one of the things that we realized was, especially in the personal care industry, the one, the one thing that you can remove that pretty much gets rid of 85% of the bad guys was anything that has the word fragrance. So if you take a bottle of shampoo, conditioner, lotion, what have you, flip it around to the back and look at the bottom and see if it has that word fragrance, perfume or parfum. If mm -hmm. it has that word, that's probably one of the bad guys. And, you know, it just kind of, it, it runs down to that idea that in the cosmetic industry, they're so worried about formulations and their formulations being stolen, you know, from other companies that back before when we actually had labs that could re-engineer these things, reverse engineer them and find all these things, it was all about, you know, hiding those formulations. And so what has happened over the years is that they've hid their formulations under the word fragrance. So you look mm. at that word fragrance, it could have hundreds of chemicals in there that are under that word fragrance. And so there's a lot of things that they can hide. 
And right. so what we've noticed is the transparent companies, the ones that are disclosing what, what's inside their fragrance are typically the companies that you want to, you can trust more. And so that was a really easy way in the book because personal care is so complicated yeah. for us to say 85% of the bad guys get rid of this one thing here. Yeah. And now, now um, I, I don't know this and perhaps you do. There are, I mean, there are definitely there are companies that are using fragrance, quote unquote, but they're using things like essential oils, herbal extracts and that. Are those, can they still be housed under that label of fragrance or do yeah. you find companies? So they can, es- yeah. Essential oils can be housed under fragrance. Yeah. Okay. And, and it can be a lot of things. Yeah. Cause what yeah. I've noticed, I mean, even like, again, like some of the products we buy here at, at home, um, you know, they're, they're squeaky clean, nice and green and all that good stuff, but they do still have fragrance. And then they'll sort of say, you know, uh, little asterisks, um, and you know, essential oils based. So, I mean, is that, is that good or do is, do we still not really know what they're doing? Well, okay. If they're, well, what you're saying is they're actually disclosing fragrance. They're saying that this is what's in it. And in that sense, then yes, it would be better because they are disclosing it. And I would like to see all companies do this. I mean, because there's even a lot of natural companies that won't disclose what's in there. I really believe that, you know, this is the, this is the future full 100% trans, you know, transparency. You know, if you want us to trust you, you got to tell us what's in it. And that that's how I believe now in the, background, there's a lot of companies that will come to me. They'll allow me to sign an NDA and show me what all of the fragrance ingredients are. And then I can say, okay, you're a better brand. But I would really much rather have them disclose that to the consumer so that they don't have to just trust me. Because come on, at the end of the day, people can reverse engineer this in a lab and find out exactly what's in your product. There is no hiding. So why not just tell the consumer? Yeah. And I mean, even if you want to do a proprietary formulation, that's great, but just put the ingredients. We don't have to know how much or or what right. ratios or anything like that. We just want to know what's in it. So, exactly. so um, uh, just for time's sake today, you have literally like this week, I think it was, no, last week, you just launched a whole new campaign and you're trying to shake some things up. So, so let's, let's hop into that uh, for a little bit. What, what, what's going on? Thank you. So it's all about bisphenols. And speaking with independent scientists, they have given me a lot of information about the biggest contributors to bisphenols in your system. And one of the biggest contributors to bisphenols, which like BPA and BPS, mm-hmm. into your system is handling thermal receipt paper. And when I tell people about this, it just blows their mind because it's something you would never think about. But yeah. what happens is bisphenols um, in powder form are coating the top of that receipt paper. They're not bonded like they are in plastic. So no chemical reaction, no chemical reaction has to happen for that to get onto your hands and then into your bloodstream. And so what we're doing is we've launched a petition to Target, telling Target to stop exposing people to these hormone disrupting chemicals in their thermal receipt paper. So, uh, Target covers their receipt paper with BPS, which if you've heard me before, is one of those bitchy bisphenols, right? Mm -hmm. So they are quote unquote BPA free. And yes, they will tell you that, but no, no, no. The sister that potentially could be worse is the sister that they have coded there on their um, thermal receipt paper. And the interesting thing is a lot of us, um, 
activists that, you know, they work together. We all get our, our we, we've gotten our systems checked for different things. And, you know, I had BPS in my system and my other girlfriend had BPS in her system. And we're like, how the hell is this getting in to our, our lives? Because we eat mostly plastic free. We really, you know, do a good job of trying to avoid this with, with our food and everything. But we were handling the thermal receipt paper. And so we're all like, oh my God, that's how it's getting in. And of course, this has also been um, underscored in a lot of research that, you know, independent scientists have done on this exact issue. So we're asking Target to number one, offer digital receipts um, so that people can just kind of bypass that completely. And number two, reformulating their receipt paper so it's bisphenol free. And there's a couple of companies who have already done this or are taking steps to do this. And one of the companies is Best Buy. If you go to Best Buy, they have a bisphenol free thermal receipt paper. And then Trader Joe's just made that announcement. And then at my specific Trader Joe's, they've already rolled out the bisphenol free paper. So this is something that Target absolutely can do. What I mm -hmm. want to start doing is educating people on this big issue because it is a major contributor to bisphenols in your system. And bisphenols are really bad mofos. You don't want them in your system. They are some major hormone disruptors. So, so, so did you, um, again, just sort of get a bit of background on this. So uh, first of all, amazing, like fantastic. And you have, I mean, over 30,000 people signed in less than a week, which is amazing. Yes, so yes. The, the wheels are getting greased and uh, things are taken off, which is awesome. Um, but, you know, two things come to mind. First of all, um, I, I, I wonder how, like, how much of it does get absorbed. Do we know that? Or, or, or like, have you guys looked into that? Yeah. And there's actually a post on momovation.com that you can read all about it. So okay, they perfect. add... Now it's different uh, based on, okay, if you are a woman, your absorption rate is going to be higher than a man. And that is based on the fact that your, thin, your skin is actually thinner than a man's skin. So mm. uh, Brett, if you and I were handling receipts, I would get more into my system than you would. So if you were testing our urine afterwards, you would absolutely find that. The other thing is children have the same. Children are thinner than females. So children are the most, um, and especially babies, obviously you don't yeah. want to hand your receipt yeah. to the baby. And then, but the worst people that are giving the highest exposure cash registers, obviously, because yeah, that, that was my next, my next thing to just mm -hmm. sort of point out. I mean, I can only imagine the poor people working that like handing out hundreds and hundreds of receipts every day. That's kind of crazy they're, to think. Yeah. And their levels that they're getting daily are exceeding the European safe lem level limits. Wow. So that tells you right there that they are being exposed in a way that is very dangerous to their, to their hormones um, and to just their body in general. And, and what, what really kills me is seeing a pregnant woman who is mm. a cash register because yeah. that is the yeah. triple whammy right there. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because, you know, you're always going to get people that are going to going to question things and i think questioning things is fantastic um and you know i'm sure that a lot of people even listening to this might go well how much do we really absorb like is this, is this really a burning issue and so i'm uh, i'm definitely going to be throwing a link up to that article so check out the show notes um i'll get you that article so because i think it's important for those of you listening to take this a little bit more seriously right and also leah something that you've spoken about i've heard you a number of times now on facebook and this happens a lot is once you force the hand of the bigger people, mm -hmm. then other people, you know, you create this sort of domino effect where other people start to snap in line as well. Right. And that, yeah. That's 
That's exactly what we're going after because, you know, Target, I mean, the reason we selected Target, there was a lot of reasons why we selected Target. First of all, the Momovation community all shops at Target. And so that was an easy, like, to Mm. figure out who was going to impact the health of my community specifically, absolutely was Target. Second of all, Target is actually working um, in the background and doing a lot of things to make you safer as you go into their store. Um, There is an NGO called Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, and they produce yearly this um, this, uh, report called Mind the Store, where they're looking into chemicals and all sorts of things um, about, you know, stores and and their impact on your health when you walk into there. Now, uh, Target received a B minus on their scoreboard. And companies like uh, Walmart, ironically, the Apple Store, um, they they did better. So those were companies that were scoring a B plus or an A. Target has, over the years, um, they have implemented and are starting to Im- implement a chemical safety policy. So they are starting to already restrict fire retardants in their store, phthalates and parabens. Mm. If you are going there and shopping, you're noticing, or you should be noticing, that there is more safer personal care products there. There's you know more organic and non-GMO food. This is happening purposely at Target because they want that market share. They want the people that are interested in this to come into their stores. And they're just noticing that the people that shop there are interested in this and they're buying more. So this is with this change and being the leader of this change is within their best it's within, it's going to work out well for them because, you know, they can make a national deal about how they have safer receipt paper. And this is something that's really big that the retail industry needs to start tackling. I think it's in their best interest to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I fully agree. And um, you're obviously you're getting some, some traction and people are listening to what you're saying. So that's amazing. I wish you all the best. And obviously, um, you know, those of you listening, uh, check out the show notes because I'm going to be putting the links to a lot of the stuff that we've covered in this episode is actually going to be right underneath um, in the show notes. So you can go and learn more. You can go and check out the book. You can sign the petition. Um, But Leah, just to wrap things up, uh, anything else you want to share with us today? Any um, other ventures or things that you would like to um, get out there and expose our listeners to? Well, the one thing I wanted to remind everybody is, you know, we've talked a lot of things, a lot about how things are scary, but the motto of my community is this home is green enough to be healthy and chill enough to be happy. So I wanted to remind everybody at home that yes, you have to walk that tightrope of being healthy and avoiding all these things, but there's also the emotional impact of your life and those Mm. types of things are just as equally important. So Don't think that it's all about, you know, everything's going to kill you. We can't be in that mind frame. We also have to be in the other, you know, mindset of chilling out and, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, doing what we can with things that we can control and absolutely putting that energy into activism and, you know, voting with your dollar and not feeling like the world is out of control. That is not um, a healthy thing to have you feel. Totally. And that is a fantastic way to wrap uh, up this episode. Um, so yeah, words of wisdom there, Leah. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of the work that, you, that you're doing and continue to do and um, you know, working on the real big picture stuff um, with influencers, with brands, and uh, obviously with all of the activist work that you're doing. So um, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been great to sit down and chat with you. And um, we will have many conversations off air. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, 
so those of you listening out there, I hope that you have enjoyed uh, another episode. And of course, as always, if you have, uh, please consider sharing with friends, family, uh, especially important information like this, uh, you know, that falls a little bit outside of the usual stuff, our, you know, like health, nutrition, fitness, whatever else. Um, you know, this sort of stuff is, uh, it's things that people don't always think about, but they're equally important. And oftentimes, you know, especially for me as a practitioner, I found that uh, these are the hidden things um, that are oftentimes really causing you some problems that you just have never thought about. So, yeah. So, uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks, Leah, for being here. And, thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, and you guys all have yourself a beautiful day. Bye.